0: Everybody, morning, good morning. Please make yourselves comfortable. Find a seat, you know. I'm always amazed that you guys like to sit in those cafe chairs for an hour. I'd... We got the squishy chairs for a reason, you know. Anyway, the squishy, you know, the soft chairs, whatever you want to call it. There you go. That's it. Yeah, comfort. All right. Morning, everyone. Welcome to Calvary Napa. My name is Dan. Um, hi there. <laughs> uh, just a couple announcements for us before we get into the Word this morning. and I'm going to bust out my phone so I don't get in trouble with anybody on details. But number one, there's going to be a ladies' fellowship coming up here. Not this Wednesday, but the following Wednesday. I think our... Oh, we took the screen down. Okay, that's all right. If you look out in the foyer, if you guys didn't know, I put we put uh, upcoming events on the TV screens out there, so you can't miss it. You have to literally walk past it in order to get into the building. So if you want details, it's all out there, but that's going to be Wednesday, the 14th of December at 6.30 here at Calvary Napa. Uh, this is for ladies, okay, for, for, the, for the ladies, uh, and it's going to be a white elephant exchange. You guys know how fun that is. Uh, please uh, come and bring a dessert to share. Coffee and tea and all that stuff will be provided um, if you want to dress festive, please do. If you want to wear a horrendous sweater, please do. Um, there's not going to be specifically childcare available, but, you know, there's always the playground, so you can see them through the window of the youth room. So it's pretty much the same thing. Anyway, that's, uh, that's on the foyer screens out here if you need more details there. And then, of course, we have our Christmas dinner coming up on the 17th, so that'll be the Saturday of the same week, and that's going to be potluck style, so if we don't bring food, we're not going to eat, so just throwing that out there. Next week, I'm going to put a a sheet out in the foyer. I'm going to give you guys a week advance notice, but I'm going to put a sheet out there so we can check off what kind of food we would like to bring so that there's, you can see kind of a balance of what's going to be here. Uh, I think last year, we had more desserts than I've ever seen in one place in my life. I mean, it was just it was out of control. So a lot of people enjoyed that. uh, But you know, I like meat, so I'm going to bring that. So anyway, uh, Christmas dinner, the 17th, that's also out there in the foyer. And then I just want to clarify for you guys in case there's any confusion about how Christmas is going to go down this year. Christmas is on a Sunday morning, Christmas Day, which I don't know who plans the calendar, but um, you know, it just happened to work out that way. So we're going to take our Christmas morning and be here. So we'd love to see as many of you as the Lord would have. Christmas Eve, we're going to let everybody do their thing. So Christmas Eve uh, will just be just like any old regular Saturday night, and then Sunday morning we'll be here. Does that make sense? All right. Regular time, regular deal. Um, Okay. Wonderful. All right. Let's get into it. Let's pray together, please. Father, thank you, God, that you are a mighty, powerful, and amazing God, Lord, we come together this morning to reverence you and to worship you and to be transformed by your word. Father, I pray that uh, everything that we brought into this room this morning, our, our cares and our distractions and our, <clears throat> our struggles, Father, our shortcomings, Lord, that we would uh, just let go of those now, God, that we may hear from you. Father, please speak to our minds and to our hearts from your uh, perfect holy word, God, and uh, may we receive it with gladness and joy, and uh, may you renew our minds this morning, Father, that as we leave, we would see you more clearly, see ourselves more rightly, and see the glory of Christ more clearly. So we ask all these things, and we thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, um As you guys know, Pastor Rob is in Israel with his wife, and he has some video fun for us, but we weren't able to get it, so we'll watch it next week, hopefully. Um, But while he's gone, I'll be with you guys for for three weeks, and we're going to do a little mini-series, so I'm losing time on my message today by introducing this, so that doesn't count toward the sermon time, all right? so I still get my 40 to 45 after the introduction. Um, But we're gonna be spending three weeks in the book of Ephesians if you guys want to open up there. Somebody's excited, I'm excited. Not that my excitement really matters, but um, this is my favorite book in the scripture. Um, When people ask me that, that's my go-to. And there are many reasons for that, some of which we'll get into today. Again, not that that matters to anybody, but just thought I'd share. Um, We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4 is going to be our passage for the next three weeks, the opening three verses. If you guys are there, it may sound different in whatever translation you have, but that is perfectly fine. Uh, I think it's good to take a look at multiple translations when we read. We don't have to be stuck with one for our entire life might catch something that we missed in another translation. So however it reads for you, let's read the first four verses of Ephesians 4, or the first three verses of Ephesians 4 together. Paul says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, being diligent to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond Of peace. So by God's grace, we're going to spend three weeks right here. And the key word that I want you guys to look at here is the first word of the sentence. Just just let it ring out for me. Therefore, oh, I therefore, okay. (laughs) See, that's, I should have, I tell you guys, don't worry about the translation. Yeah, that was a blunder. Yeah, therefore, sorry. Mine says therefore, yours might say I therefore. Either way, therefore, therefore is the key word here. The therefore. What is the therefore, therefore, right? That is always our question. Why is there a therefore? The therefore, Paul is calling Christians to live in a certain way, but he's doing it with a therefore. And so the whole point of this series is going to be therefore, living in light of Christ's work. Living in light of Christ's work. Living in light of what Christ has done. Does that make sense? Paul does not just give commandments and and instruction out of nowhere with no basis and no grounding whatsoever in what God has done. Everything that he instructs his readers to do, he is doing so based on the character of God and the finished work of Christ. So that's what we're going to be in for the next couple of weeks. Uh, One of the ultimate pursuits of the Christian life, as you guys know, is to walk, right, is to live in a manner worthy of our calling, to live every day with our eyes on Jesus, resting in what He has done for us and walking in light of what He has already given us, who He has already made us to be. And this is one of the reasons I love Ephesians so much. The way that the book is structured is very helpful for us to understand, really, the, the Christian life as a whole because this book is split right down the middle. You have three chapters, right, of glorious theology and doctrine and, and, and declaring the works of God and Jesus on our behalf. And then you have three chapters of instruction that is built on that foundation. And that is such a helpful reminder for us as to how we are to live and navigate this life. We receive the instruction of the Word based on who God is, who we are, who Christ is. And so, chapter 4, as we see, begins with Paul urging his readers to do this, to walk in a worthy manner. Since this has been done for you in Christ, how then shall we live in light of what he has done? And again, he doesn't just parachute this command out of nowhere. He isn't interested in just changing the behaviors of his audience, right? Christianity is not just a behavioral modification system. You guys believe that? I hope so. There's, there's so much more to the faith than just doing different things than we used to do. Above all, Paul wants his readers to see Jesus and comprehend his love. To see Jesus and to comprehend his love and to be transformed by his love so that they can then walk in that love, walk in light of that love. If we don't know the love of Christ, all of Paul's instructions are... Uh, you know, impossible and meaningless anyway. We might as well not read it. We need chapters 1 through 3 in order for chapters 4 through 6 to make sense. So chapters 1 through 3, we're not going (laughs) to go verse by verse through three chapters of Ephesians in three weeks because that would be very intense for me and for you. Um, but Paul, in the first three chapters of the book, gives us every reason to live in light of Christ's work. He gives everything leading up to the therefore. Right? We're building up to the therefore. Some of the most beloved language in all of Scripture, not just for me, but for many people throughout history, as he lays the foundation for Christian living. So that when we arrive at the halfway point of the letter, beginning of chapter four, he begins what it looks like to walk. In Christ, for the church, for God's household. And it looks like humility, gentleness, patience, love, unity, and peace. So those are the things we'll be covering. The structure of the letter informs us that in order to live a life worthy of our calling, we must grasp, we must comprehend certain things about God. And these things must always be in the forefront of our minds and our hearts in a way, we have to kind of, we have to filter our existence through these truths that Paul is giving us if we are to pursue living a worthy life. We have to understand who we were outside of Christ. We have to understand what has been done for us in Christ, and we have to understand who we are now in light of what He has done. And not only understanding these things generally, as in, hey, can you give me the gospel in 10 seconds? Yes, you know, Jesus died and rose again and he was raised for our justification. Yes, we need to know that. But this involves a continual pursuit of understanding of this love that God has poured out on us in Christ. Love that Paul says surpasses knowledge, right? You guys are familiar with this language of Ephesians. We will never get to the end of understanding his love the knowledge of Him and His perfect love is the, is the, it's the greatest treasure for us, right? That is our, that's our pursuit, to know Him and to know His love. And so it is the source, so to speak. It's the fuel of our ability to walk in a way that pleases Him. In order to do that, we need to know His love. So we're going to examine the three parts of Paul's plea here. To walk in a manner worthy with all humility and gentleness. With patience, bearing with one another in love, and being diligent to keep unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. So we're going to examine those and why we should desire to obey this call from Paul. So walk worthy, living in light of Christ's work. All right? Okay, that was introduction. Seven minutes and 45 seconds. So now our time starts, okay? All right. So if you would flip over to chapter one with me, please. And verse 18, I pray this for all of us in this room, myself included, this morning. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the boundless greatness of his power toward us who believe. Amen. Amen. Okay, so today, in humility and gentleness, walk worthy in humility and gentleness. You guys ready to be humbled this morning? Anybody come in here thinking a little bit too highly of themselves? I know you guys are all a humble crowd, but uh, we all all need humility, don't we? It's something that creeps in uh, very sneakily into our lives, into our minds, into our hearts, And so here we go. Buckle your seatbelts, guys. Let's first uh, define our terms, as Pastor Aaron always wonderfully does for us on Thursdays. Always got to start with the definition. So before going any further, first humility. Now, this is going to be probably the only comedic relief of the whole morning. So enjoy it while it lasts. It'll be short. Um, If you guys have ever seen Happy Gilmore, you can smile at me. If you haven't, you can smile at me anyway. I can't give this movie my my pastoral recommendation as a spiritually edifying film, so don't quote me as saying, Pastor Dan said we need to go watch Happy Gilmore. Don't do it. It's recorded. I have proof. But there's a classic scene where Happy, Adam Sandler, he's, uh, he's pleading with his legendary golf instructor. I'm so sorry for those of you who haven't seen this. It's is going to sound so dumb, but um, he's, he's pleading with Chubbs, who is... Uh, a <laughs> Uh, a very famous golfer, Um, and and he's pleading for him to take him back under his tutelage. He kind of messed up their relationship, and he said, fine, forget you, I don't need you. And now he realizes his mistake, and he's trying to get Chubbs to take him back. And this is his way of humbling himself before Chubbs. And I quote, I'm stupid, you're smart, I was wrong, you were right, you're the best, I'm the worst, you're very good looking, I'm not attractive. Uh, so that's, that's, his, that's his plea before Chubbs, that's his, his humbling of himself, okay? So that is not what we're looking for, or what we're talking about when we're, we're defining biblical humility, you guys got that? We're not uh, making a list of all the reasons that we're dumb and worthless, or that we have nothing good to offer the world with our existence, okay? We gotta kinda just get rid of that for now. Humility, simply put, is a product of seeing ourselves rightly in relation to God. That is a very easy-to-remember definition of humility. Humility really is a proper grasp of reality. If we live in reality, we will be humbled by it. Humility is living with no confidence in ourselves or dependence ourselves. On ourselves and our own strength and our own abilities and our own wisdom and intellect and goodness. None of that. That is all worthless. But rather recognizing that God is God and we are not. I know this is like Christianity 101, but even, even the simplicity of that truth alone is, is profound and it needs to, to really sink into our minds. God is God and I am me. He is infinite in every good measure. He's the source of every good thing, and we simply are not. Yeah? You guys agree with that? We are not the source of every good thing. In fact, we are one of the main sources of every bad thing, so that's nice. Humility is letting God be God in our thinking. Humility prevents us from glorifying ourselves, and it turns our eyes to glorify Him. That's humility. God is God. Who am I? right? Who are we? Gentleness, other word, it's a similar connotation. The two words are kind of paired together in other places in Scripture, but you guys understand the concept of gentleness, right? Not aggressive or harsh or combative, not asserting dominance over other people. Gentleness is reserving strength, right? It's it's holding back strength. It's holding back force for the sake of another, right? Just because you can, you know, Never mind, I'm not even going to say it. That's going to sound bad. Uh, <laughs> you know, we, we, don't, we don't push children around because they're weaker than us, right? We're, we're gentle with them because they're frail. You guys say, yeah, we do. No. Uh <laughs> yeah, that, that would be a good example of humility and gentleness, right? Um, showing care, right? Showing care, showing tenderness. So if we want to walk worthy, if we want to live our lives in light of Christ's work, we have to be people marked by humility, and gentleness. The two naturally go together, right? A lowly, humble person is gentle in spirit. A gentle person does not exalt himself over the one that they show gentleness to. And so I'm just going to kind of refer to them as a pair for the morning, if you guys will allow me. Humble and gentle. And so humility and gentleness are indispensable life characteristics for us as Christians, and they are absolutely a result of understanding Christ's love. They're a result of understanding God's eternal purpose in Jesus, living in light of what He's done. To confess Christ is to be humbled pretty much by definition, right? In order to confess Christ, we have to admit, I bring nothing to the table. I'm I'm in need of a Savior. And I believe that every person in this room, including myself, needs to be humbled today. And I was, I was deeply moved uh, by this passage of Scripture uh, in my study, and I, I hope and I trust that you will be too, uh, because pride is a most destructive sin. You guys know this. It takes many forms, some more visible than others. Some of us are prideful, and no one would ever know or guess it, because that pride resides in our skulls and in our hearts. We may not let it out, but it's still in there. It resides in all of us. And this morning we need to decrease that Christ may increase. Amen. So three reasons from Paul's letter that we must walk humbly and in all gentleness. Number one: you exist for His glory. And we'll, we'll cover all three of these, but if you want to write them down now, please do. Number one, you exist for His glory. Number two, everything you have, you have received. And number three, you belong to the King of creation. So number one, walk humbly and gently because you exist for His glory. Again, we're just going to be surveying the first three chapters of Ephesians, so we're going to pop around a little bit. But um, Paul makes much of the will of God in Ephesians chapter 1, if you're familiar with the chapter. He uses the word will four times in the first 11 verses by my count. And what do we see included in God's will? Well, verse 1 opens with it is God's will that Paul was chosen to be an apostle. And then three times Paul mentions God's will in the next few verses. He says that God's purposes in working all things together and in God's blessing of the church, in God's choosing of the church, in God's predestination of the church, the body of Christ that that was all according to the good pleasure of his will. Amen. It was all according to the good measure of his will, good pleasure of his will. To say that in, you know, 2022 English, because it pleased him, because he wanted it. Meaning this, that everything we have in Christ, everything that we are in Christ, everything that we will be in Christ, every. Drop every ounce of hope that exists in us in Christ is a direct result of God's good pleasure. Because in his own goodness, he wanted it. And this is this is a radical truth here uh, that that we keep on the foyer screens from time to time out there. What is the ultimate purpose of everything that God has done through his son? Does anybody know what it says on the screen out there? To the praise of his glorious grace. The praise of his glorious grace. Paul says in verse 11 that God works all things in accordance with the plan of his will. All things. Not some things, not most things. All things God works according to the plan of his will. And to what end? What is the purpose of this? What is the highest priority of God's will? It is the praise of His glory. And in what way did He most gloriously give reason for this praise that we gather each week to remember? It was through His eternal plan of redemption. It was through the work of His Son, the Savior of the world, that He is most glorified the righteous one given as a sacrifice for the unrighteous. I love the lyrics of that song that Alyssa sang for us. How many kings stepped down from their thrones? How many lords have abandoned their homes? How many greats have become the least for me? That is glorious. That is glorious. That ought to humble us when we consider that our blessed position, our position of favor with God and our eternal reward, life everlasting, joy and peace and redemption and adoption as His children and entrance into His household all serve a purpose that's rooted in God Himself, His good pleasure, His will, His choice, His glorious grace. There is so much more my friends, to this salvation than just my life or your life individually. Is God glorified in in your individual salvation? Absolutely. And I say amen to that. But we are collectively so much more than that. We are collectively the bride that God chose for His Son. We are collectively a people chosen for the purpose of worshiping and glorifying Him forever for his graciousness, for his gentleness, for his kindness. And it's not only that. It's not only that Jesus saved humanity. Jesus saved not only us, but he saved the entire world from the curse of sin. When the Bible says that Jesus is the Savior of the world, because we think of ourselves as the center of the universe, we think that means, yeah, he saved the people, right? But there's more to it than that. Jesus didn't just save people. He saved the creation itself, not just the church. The whole creation, right, was subjected to death. It was subjected to the curse because of what Adam did. But Jesus has broken the curse that is on the entire world. He truly is the Savior of the world, of the whole universe. Decay and death and everything that came with the curse has been undone by his work. So when we look out into the stars and we think of the vast expanse of space and and stars and galaxies and all that stuff, Jesus has literally saved the whole deal, right? That is... Science, okay, tells us that Uh, There is a law that all things are trending toward destruction, right? Eventually, every star will burn out, and all light and source of energy in the entire existence will cease to exist, and there will be nothing but darkness forever, if Jesus didn't undo it, you know? (laughs) Again, this is all hypothetical, but, but because of what Jesus has done, there will be no end to life, there will be no end to joy and, and worship everlasting. And, and all things will go on in perfection for His glory. And, and we're going we're to bring this, I promise, we're going to bring this back down to the simplicity of our everyday life. But Jesus has saved the world. And so we, the church, are part of something so much bigger than just ourselves as individuals. We exist for His pleasure. And glory. And the thought that God would love us, that He would find delight in you, that He would find delight in me, that He would find delight in everyone in this room, that ought to humble us. Because remember what I said He's God. He is God. All those crazy nebulas and black holes out there, He made that out of nothing. He is God, what is man? Who am I in the, in, in the scheme of all of this? The psalmist King David was astounded and humbled by this very same thing. If you guys know Psalm 8, if you're lightning fast, you can turn there, but please just listen. He says, "'O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is Your name in all the earth! You have set Your glory above the heavens, out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. Listen to this, verse 3. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him. Who am I? When I look out into the heavens, I go, what? <laughs> I'm, just a, I'm just a little... Well, I'm taller than most of you, but, you know, I'm, I'm just a little, a little dude on a big planet in a big universe. Who am I? But he says, verse 5, "'Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands.'" We have dominion over the works of God's hands. We're stewarding what, what the Creator has made. "'You have put all things under His feet.'" All sheep and oxen and also beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Amen. How majestic is his name? Who am I? Who are we? He's he's taking language straight out of Genesis, right? When God created man, he said, let him have dominion over all these things, over the birds of the air, the beasts of the field. (laughs) It, it's mind boggling that God would choose us as vessels for his glory. That he would show favor and gentleness to the same human race who crucified his son. If someone came into your house tonight and killed your children, would you offer up your other child and say, Here, have this one as a token of my forgiveness? No way. His ways are so far beyond ours, they're they're incomprehensible. That is glorious grace, amen? Glorious grace, amazing grace is what we call it. This grace should should, uh, never grow old to us. It's called good news, not old news, right? The fact that we exist for Him, for His good pleasure, not as pests, not as parasites or insects, but as objects of His love... That ought to humble us. How can we ever make much of ourselves in light of that? Were it not for God's good pleasure, we would not even exist. We would not be here. And yet, here we are. Yet, here we sit in His favor and in His love. What I'm about to say here, and run out of time already... Or rather, I'm not coming up with anything new. What the Bible clearly and repeatedly says, this flies in the face of, not here, of course. You guys are all well-learned theologians. But this flies in the face of very popular Western self-esteem-centered bad theology that we have exported to the rest of the globe, right? That, that man is the center of the universe. Um, but please listen carefully and, and understand how wonderful this is. I'm going to move in and out of quotations without citing them for the sake of time. So, just so I'm not guilty of plagiarizing, consider the next five minutes just repeating what uh, more intelligent men than me have already said, all right? But hear the truth, embrace it, love it, cherish it. God loves his glory more than he loves us. And this is the foundation of his love for us. Repeat that. God loves His glory more than He loves us, and this is the foundation of His love for us. If you read from cover to cover, you will find this concept repeated over and over throughout all of Scripture. God performing His acts of grace and mercy and gentleness and patience and salvation for His name's sake. For the glory of God. His name, to the praise, right, of His glorious grace. This is the, the final purpose. This is the ultimate purpose of all things, and for all time, it is God's glory. Does that sit well with us? <laughs> Some people are saying yes. To me, you know, uh, it's, it's, sometimes it's a difficult thing to wrestle with. I'm not the center of God's universe, I could have easily just preached on this alone, maybe for three weeks, but suffice it to say, God's ultimate commitment is to himself and not to us, and that is good for us because in that lies our security. God loves his glory above all. His ultimate commitment is to himself and his glory. Why is that good news for me and for you? Doesn't that sound like God is pretty God-centered? Yes, yes it does. And thank God. Thank God that He is the center of His universe, not us. Because He is the only fitting thing for that place. Who else is worthy to be the center of all things but the only God? Thank God that His love for us doesn't rest on our ability to be lovable. That is a sobering and humbling and wonderful thing. God's love for me does not rest in my ability to be lovable because if it did, we would already be destroyed. Thank God his love for us is founded in something as unchangeable and as valuable as God himself, and that's his glory. Now, The question is, does this diminish or tarnish or lessen his love for us? Absolutely not in any way. In fact, it establishes his love for us. It magnifies his love for us. It anchors his love for us. Nothing could be better for you and me than God's love for his glory. Nothing could be better for us because through his own son, he has made us sinful humans to share in glory, us. He has attached our eternal destiny to the glory of His own name through His Son. The two have been connected in the work of Christ so that we have been made a part of God's greatest commitment, His commitment to His glory. We've been brought into that. We've been brought into the love of that exists between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit that is perfect and unchangeable and eternal, we have been brought into it. We've been brought into the glory that God had in His existence from eternity past. We've been brought into it for His name's sake, to the praise of His glory. He has made Himself known to us. He's shown Himself to us. He's revealed Himself to us. He's told us about Him so that we would see His glory and that we would be able to share in glory. And in that, we find security. If one thing is certain, it's that God is glorious. If there's one thing that is certain, it's that He will be glorified for all that He is. God will get glory, amen? whether through the salvation of souls through the cross, whether through the destruction of the wicked in the lake of fire, whether through all means, God will get glory. And in that we are humbled. Who am I that God would be mindful of me? Who am I that He would glorify me? That He would make me a fellow heir with His Son? That He would make me a son of His kingdom? Who am I? If that doesn't move us to humility, then we're lost. Nothing else will. We exist for His glory. But nevertheless, there is more, and we'll move a bit more quickly from here. But there is more, because the one for whom we exist is a God that gives of Himself. He gave us His Son so that we would have eternal life. He gave us new life by His Spirit. He gave us everything we need. He gives us life and breath and everything. And so number two from Paul's letter, our reason to walk humbly and gently is that everything we have, we have received. First John 3, 1 John 3.1 says, see how great a love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. John 3.27, this is one of Pastor Rob's favorite confessions. This is John the Baptist speaking. He says, A person cannot receive anything unless it is given from heaven. Nothing. Everything you have, you have received. It's been gifted to you by the Father. And if we remember this, if we live in light of this, we are stripped of any and all ability to boast, to elevate ourselves. Our pride is destroyed in light of this. What do you have that you did not receive right what have you gotten for yourself nothing a quick survey again we're not going to read all three chapters but of the first three chapters of Ephesians produces a list for us it's a list of all the things that God has given to the church each one of them by itself is worthy of a lifetime of study we'll never fully understand it and in light of this list there's only one possible way for us to walk, and that is in humility and gentleness. I'm going to go through this list. This is what Paul tells us that God has given us in Christ. All right, I'm going to rattle them, so be ready. Rapid fire. Every spiritual blessing, every spiritual blessing, righteousness, favor. I don't have 22 fingers, so I'm, not going to, I'm just going to stop. Adoption, redemption, forgiveness, and inheritance, his spirit, wisdom, and revelation, the hope of his calling, his divine power toward us, love, life, kindness, the free gift of salvation, good works to walk in, peace with God, access to God, citizenship in heaven, entrance into God's household, boldness and confidence before him, and power. Help me out here, church, interactive church. How much of this was our doing? A zero, say it with me, a zero, turn to your neighbor and say, a zero, just kidding, don't do that. <laughs> Our church isn't big enough to do the turn to your neighbor thing, uh, <laughs> a zero, right? We find here in chapter 2, one of the most well-known verses in all the Bible, you guys probably haven't memorized, Ephesians 2.8, for by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not of yourselves, it is the gift of of God not a result of works why so that no one may boast so that no one may boast consider that list that we just went through in your in your mind's eye again consider what you have earned for yourself by the things that you've done in your flesh let's just go over a quick list of those condemnation wrath shame, guilt, death. These are the things that we have really solidly, you know, procured for ourselves with our works. And now consider what we've received in Christ by faith instead of what we deserve. All those things. Salvation, the gift of God apart from works. In fact, despite our works. It's not that we had some good stuff to offer. It's that our good stuff was so bad that the gift is in spite of our works. God has extended this gift to us so that no one may boast. So that boasting would be so insanely foolish that we couldn't possibly dream of it, right? And yet here we are, boastful human beings, proud, haughty, you know, whatever, Uh, descriptions you want to use. I'll be the first to confess it. Will you guys confess with me? Do we need to be rid of our pride? Now, I doubt there is anyone in this room who thinks you earned your salvation, okay? You guys sit under, you know, faithful teaching of God's Word. I don't believe Pastor Rob has deceived any of you into thinking such a thing or that you somehow deserved it in some way, but be warned, my friends, our sinful nature always desires self-exaltation. It's, it's something that's ingrained into us from the fall. We always desire to have credit or glory or recognition or self-rule in some way or another, right? I want to do things my way, not God's way. Pride deceived Satan. He was a glorious spirit being. Uh, who who existed in the presence of God. Uh, pride got him. Pride deceived our first parents in the garden who lived in perfect harmony with God. Uh, so that should be a warning that it can and it will happen to all of us. And so it's our calling now to put to death those desires for self-worship in light of what Christ has done for us and to boast in him alone, amen? Our boast is in him. What do you have that you did not receive? And if you received it, Why boast, right? If someone gives you a $100 gift certificate for Christmas, you're not going to (laughs) go, look at this gift certificate I got myself. It was a gift. Thank the person who gave it to you, right? You look like a fool. Who am I? Who are you? Sinner saved by grace. That's it. Sinner saved by grace. Now, this also has a great effect on the way that we view other people, and this is where this becomes very practical for us. Once we've been down the road of sanctification a little bit, you know, we don't look quite as depraved as maybe we once did, you know, we don't, we're using the F word three times out of ten instead of nine times out of ten, I don't know, we all struggle with different things, but we can get to thinking from time to time that we're really something, you know, I'm really progressing in holiness, you know, I'm really working out my salvation here, I'm killing it. And praise God, you know, (laughs) what we are, we are by His grace, but we can grow as we become less and less like our old selves who we probably despise, right? We can grow to despise the outsider who is very much like we once were, as if they are less worthy than we are. Or we can grow harsh with each other as well. Look at where I am in my sanctification, Come on, bud. What are you doing over there? Pick up the pace, right? You're still struggling with that? What's the matter with you? Don't you go to church, right? Don't you believe in Jesus? How are you still struggling with that? Let's get a move on, right? Or we look to the the outsider and we go, what's the matter with you, man? Why can't you get this? Clearly, I figured out that Jesus is the son of God. Why can't you? You know, what's the hang up here? Or we can divide people into groups. This is my favorite one. Okay, we got three groups. We have the saved, and then we have the potentially savable, and then we have the outright enemy, right? Those, those folks, they, they ain't got no chance, right? We may think of our, our friendly, again, I use this example all the time, but we might think of our friendly, mild-mannered, conservative, semi-spiritual friends or coworkers as being right for salvation, right? They're right there. They're just, they're right there, I can tell. But certain, you know, political figures or celebrities or people in authority, people in positions of power that, you know, we know oppose God. We go, well, yeah, those people, that's the enemy, right? Forget those guys. They oppose God. They're the enemy. Those people are beyond hope. Right? They're lost. We, we, I wish those people would just die so we could be rid of them. Do you see how foolish that is? That was you. That was me. We look Foolish when we think this way. That was you. No more worthy than any other fallen son or daughter of Adam. That's what makes God's grace so gracious is that he saves his enemies, right? He saves his enemies. Whoever breaks one of God's laws is guilty of all. All humanity, all enemies of God, by nature from the get-go we are running in the opposite direction we've got to humble ourselves with gentleness not only toward our brothers and sisters but with gentleness toward the outsider to compassion not because we're so compassionate but compassion because we see ourselves in them we go that was me apart from the grace of god that is me i'm probably worse That's me. We have nothing that we did not receive. We all stood condemned before God. In Paul's second letter to Timothy, he writes this, I urge that supplications and prayers and intercessions and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. God is going to save all kinds of people from all walks of life, not just average people, not just poor people, not just likable people, all kinds of people. People in high positions. The people that we think are the least likely to come to Christ. You guys have read the book of Daniel. You know God does what he wants with kings in this world. He can humble the most proud man on the face of the earth. He's going to save people from every corner of the globe. You remember Andrew came and preached to us about missions. Every tribe, tongue, and nation. Not just a lot of people, but All peoples from every background, from every walk of life, all kinds of people. He is the giver of every good gift, not the least of which is the gift of eternal life in Christ Jesus. It is a gift. You have been given a gift. No one but a fool boasts in a gift. You boast in the person who gave it to you, right? Thank you. Look at this. He gave it to me. Isn't this awesome? It's a gift. In light of his giving, we must be humbled. In light of his gentleness with us, when we deserved his wrath, we must be gentle inside and outside the church. It is because of him that we are in Christ Jesus. This whole plan is his plan, his salvation, his grace, his son, his gift, his glory. Amen? We were in a dreadful state, and I'm not even going to get into it because we're running out of time. Ephesians 2, the beginning, first three verses, dreadful state by nature, children of wrath. But God, right, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our wrongdoings, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. This is God's doing Now, whether you think that you freely choose Christ because God has freely chosen you or you believe that God freely chooses you because you chose Christ, that's a conversation for a whole other day. The fact of the matter remains something that every Christian can agree on that we can collectively praise him for is that this is all his doing, amen? It's all his doing. There was no part of this wonderful plan that we participated in or contributed to in any helpful way whatsoever. Whatever we are, we are by the grace of God. Let's walk humbly before him, remembering that if it was not for his gracious will, uh, we'd all be lost, right? So often we want to find our worth by looking to the left or looking to the right. Definitely holier than that guy, right? But probably not as righteous of her. Man, she annoys me. Always, always quoting scripture, Ooh. right? Oh, uh, oh, your prayer life is so great. Oh, I'm so glad. Yeah, whatever, okay? I'm over here struggling, okay? I don't want to hear it, right? We, we always want to look like this to find where we are in, in this whole picture. We need to look. What we need to do is look into the mirror of God's Word, right? We need to look into the mirror of God's Word. We need to look into the mirror of God's law and see that we are desperately hopeless. That is what the law of God does for us. It tells us we are desperately condemned and hopeless, and then we need to look up with empty hands, look to the one who offers his righteousness to all who would confess their sin and receive him by faith. That is where we are humbled. Not here, here, right? He humbles me. When I look over here, I can go, (laughs) I'm doing pretty good, and I look over here and I go, maybe I got a little room to grow. But when I look to his law, I'm undone, right? We're all undone. The playing field is leveled, all condemned. And then finally, let's, I think we can do this in less than 50 minutes. Number three, walk in humility and gentleness because you belong to the king of creation. You belong to the king of the universe. We'll close here back, back in chapter 1. Uh, if you would, turn with me to verse 18 again, and we're going to read through 23, and then I'll let you guys go. Not that you want to go. You're all enjoying this greatly, I can tell. You're, you're savoring the humility. Uh, <laughs> let's read together, verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of his glory, of his inheritance in the saints, And what is the boundless greatness of His power toward us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of the strength of His might, which He brought about in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the one to come. And He put all things in subjection under His feet, and made him head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Wow. The very thought of who Jesus is should produce humility in us. If nothing else, who is Jesus? Who am I? Okay, I'm humbled. Especially when we see him described in this way, raised from the dead, seated at the right hand of God, far above all things and every other name, now and forever, all things in subjection under his feet. Man, phones are going crazy right now. If, if we don't cry out, the cell phones will, amen? Uh, he's, he's head over all things, particularly his church, his body. And, you know, in our, in our teaching, and our preaching, we make, we make much of Jesus' humanity as we should, right? He is truly man, and his humanity humbles us in its own ways. But this particular portion of Scripture reminds us that he is also the exalted one. He is the Lord, the focal point, the center of all things, the one with all authority and all power and all worth. Who am I? Who am I? I have authority over, you know, my, my little house on Jefferson Street. Uh, you know, who cares? I know that we know this. I know that we confess this, but how often do we take it for granted or neglect to think on these truths about Him and and let them shape our thinking and our walk? I am not my own. I have been bought with a price. You are not your own. You have been bought with a price. You belong to the One who shed His blood for you. You belong to the perfect One. His life For yours, his righteousness for your sin. The only man to ever walk the earth that was worthy of worship, and as we talked about earlier, he laid his heavenly glory aside to become a man and to live in obedience to the law of God and to die a criminal's death in our place. And Paul says God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held by its power. He's got power over death. He came to earth to save us, to acquire us as his possession. How then can we ever turn around and be proud or be harsh with our neighbor? How can we ever elevate ourselves above anyone else? May it never be. We of all people ought to know what it is to be humbled and to walk humbly. We who have experienced the desperate awareness of our sin before a holy God and the kindness and gentleness of our Savior, the God-man. Pride and the Christian life could not be more opposed to each other. They are on opposite ends of the spectrum of God's desire for us, which is why Paul begins his call to walk with humility. First things first, humility. When we see ourselves in light of the King, there is is nothing else that we can do, amen? If you have not been humbled by these truths, today is the day. He is the exalted King over all creation, and we are... Nothing before him, and yet we are something before him. That is the thing that just blows our minds. Come to him. Receive the free gift. If you will confess that you have sinned before him and simply trust that he is who he says he is, that he's done what he said he's done, receive his righteousness by faith, there is nothing left to do but live in light of what he has done for us. Amen? So walk worthy This morning and as you leave, in light of what Christ has done, in humility and gentleness, ask yourself this morning, who am I that God would be mindful of me? Amen? Amen. All right, let's pray together. Father, it's hard to even know what to say, what to speak when we consider... How lowly we are, and and how lifted up you are. No words are fitting for your majesty, and yet we will try. Lord, we'll attempt to give you the glory that is due to your name. Lord, we thank you that you humbled yourself, Lord Jesus, that you took on a lowly form, took on the form of a servant for our good, for the praise of your grace. Lord, we're in awe of you this morning, and uh, we are truly humbled, God, by your glory. And so, uh, remind us of our position, remind us of our uh, place of love and of, of delight, Father, this morning, and may that just blow our minds, God, that you would love us. So, we thank you for what you've done. We ask that you'd strengthen us by your Spirit to walk in light of this, that when we want to lift ourselves up and and fall headlong into sin, that we would be just confronted, God, with your goodness and your majesty. So I pray your blessing on all my brothers and sisters here, and we give thanks in Jesus' name. And Alyssa's on the spot to close us with a song. (laughs) All right. Let's all stand. And we'll sing this chorus one last time. How many kings have fallen from their thrones, and how many lords have bowed? so much for leading us in worship this morning, and thank you for the reminder uh, that he has done that for us. Unbelievable. So all of you, I love you all. uh, Go in peace, and we will see you soon, hopefully. Amen? All right, guys.